morning, church. Good to see you all. Let's open our Bibles together to the Gospel of John. If you're new to the Bible, it's to the right. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so fourth book in the New Testament. And as we mentioned, we won't be going through the whole Gospel of John, uh, just chapters 1 through 3 over the next few months through the Advent season. And we begin today with just verses 1 through 5. Look at it with me, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are light. You dwell in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen God, immortal, invisible, all-wise, eternal. And yet, God came and walked among us. And people saw him. They saw Jesus, they saw God. Jesus, the Son of God, has seen the Father and came to reveal him perfectly. He is the radiance of the glory of God. All his attributes perfectly embodied, taking on the flesh of a human being. Lord, we pause and we marvel. We marvel at who you are. Yes, we are made in your image, but you are always and, and completely, in some ways, different, other than us. Holy, separated. There are, there are things that just do not transfer from you to us. And this is good. This is good for us. This is what we were made to enjoy, both being made in your image, having things that do come to us from your character and your person, but also things that do not. And so we ask, Lord, by your Spirit's power for hearts of worship today. Hearts that look away from all the other things in our life, all the other things in the world, and look directly at you, focus on you who you are, the majesty of this text. Humble us. Humble us, Lord. Oh, how we need to be humbled again and again. How our pride, it's, it's relentless. 
So we ask for your help today to be mastered by your word and for our hearts to be provoked to do the thing that we were made to do, and that is worship you. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Well, the Apostle John is not ambiguous about why he writes this gospel. He tells us in chapter 20, doesn't he? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's helpful. That's why he's writing. So that when you think about God, when you think about Jesus, there's belief, there's faith, and that through that faith you might have life. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And John would say, in particular, what comes into your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. So some of you are new to the Bible. Some of you have never read the Gospel of John. This is new. Great. Enjoy it. Dig in. But I know that many of you have read John many times. You've studied it. You've evangelized with it. You've sat with people, and you've talked to them about God, about Jesus Christ through the gospel. Let's open the gospel of John. You say, I, I've settled this question of who is Jesus. It's, I, I've decided he is the Son of God. I trust in him. It's, it's done. I've already made that decision. Great. Wherever you're at, here's my challenge to you over the next few months. Go deeper. Go deeper. Think harder. Look closer. There is always more to enjoy in the Bible because it was written by an infinite God. There is always more to enjoy in the Bible because it was written by an infinite God. There is no bottom. There is no floor to our God. And so you can read the same thing a million times and go deeper every time. So that's my challenge. Wherever, wherever you are, that's great. That's okay. Go deeper. Press in. What does God have for you? He has something. I know that for every single one of you, he has something. He's on the move. What is it? What is it for you? Today we begin in the, in the prologue. This is John's introduction. This is setting the stage for the rest of the gospel. And when you read these 18 verses, let me just say, this is a literary masterpiece. There is nothing like this prologue. It is so unique. Think about how each gospel begins. How does Mark begin, which we think is the most ancient, the first written? It's, it's right into the action. Okay, Jesus in his ministry, John the baptizer is, is proclaiming the kingdom of God has come, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God has come in me. We're right there. We're in history. How does Luke begin? Let me, let me gather all these facts and all this narrative that I've witnessed and that I've interviewed people, all the history, and let me put it, let me put it together for you, Theophilus. Right into history. How does Matthew begin? Genealogy, connecting Jesus, Christ to Jewish history, father, father, father of this, right into history. John is completely different, totally different. He doesn't start in history. He starts before history. When there was nothing, 
but God in eternity. Anybody know anything about eternity? Have you been there? Have you visited? This is something we know nothing about. This is where John's going, I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ, but I have to go back even further. Yeah, yeah. can we go there in our mind? Can we try to, to capture the uncapturable, to think about the unthinkable? Yes, the Word is going to become flesh. Yes, it happened. It gets very earthy very fast. Mary had to push, okay? All the crazy stuff that happens when you have a baby happened to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There was blood. There was yelling, okay? It was not a silent night that night. I can guarantee you that. Um, you know Mary cussed at Joseph, right? You know that. Will you shut those cows up? It's very earthy. It's very human. These things happen. It's in the Bible. But that's not where John starts. In the beginning was the Word. The Son who was born in a barn, co-eternal with the Father, existing forever and ever and ever. So what we're going to do today is we're just going to circle these five verses. We're just going to circle around them. Um, it's more of an ancient sermon. It's not a modern sermon. There's no points. I know I'm going to get scolded on that tomorrow, but we're just going to circle and just meditate and, and enjoy and worship um, on these five verses. So John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. What does that remind you of, Bible students? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you think that happened by accident? Do you think that's just happenstance? The Bible is always reminding us that everything begins with God. Everything begins with God. The old creation began with God. The new creation begins with the Word. And I'll tell you what, our flesh hates that idea. We want everything to begin with us. We do not like it. Even as a Christian, you fight that, don't you? You just naturally think about yourself first. What do I want? What is good for me? What is best for me? Me, me, me. And, and the Bible comes along and says, in the beginning, God. The world hates this idea. Hates it. The modern creed is, in the beginning, me. Me. I am the author of reality. I decide everything, including my gender, including my sexual orientation, including who my sexual partners will be. All consent. That's it. That's all that matters. Just if I want to do this, I can choose my religion. I have just a buffet of religions. I get to choose what I want. I can change my mind at any time. I can recreate myself at any time. Yeah, there is a creator. His name is me. That's that's just standard, accepted thought in secular culture. And it's death. It's a lie. It is misery. What a lie. Not only to believe that, but to have people telling you, 
Bravo. Well done. Finding your true self. It's so harmful. Genesis tells us the truth. In the beginning, God. John tells us the truth. In the beginning, the word. There is not more true, good, and helpful words than those that you can hear. Everything begins with God. Filter everything. What will glorify God? Just ask that question, and you're in step with Scripture. In the Greek, this is so beautiful. NRK Hain Halagos. I want to teach you that today. I want you to learn. You can say, I know the first five words of the Gospel of John in Greek, okay? NRK. Oh, okay, good. Didn't anticipate that, but great. You guys are good students. NRK, in the beginning. That's in the beginning. Hain halagos. Good. NRK, Hain halagos. I just want to, I just like, like saying that. It's just beautiful. Just in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. What, is, what does the word mean? Lagos. Um, in the ancient world, it's a, it's a word that people used to describe kind of like the secret of happiness, okay, the meaning of life, the thing that ties everything together, um, the key that unlocks significance and meaning, logos. It's like that's kind of what people thought of it as. Um, you know, is it, people have always speculated about this. Is it logic? Is it reason? Is it math? Is it science? What ties everything together? What gives meaning and order to the world? Um, what's the message? You know, like, tell me, like, you, you know, you, a wise guru, like, tell me the secret. Tell me the secret of life. That's how people thought of logos in that. That's what they would have heard. And John takes that word, and he goes like this. He dumps it out, and then he refills it with Jesus Christ. The key to life, the thing that unlocks all meaning, understanding, and happiness is not a theory, not a principle, not an equation. It's a person. It's a person who you can know and who you can love. It's not abstract. It's very tangible. He walked among us, the Lagos, the one who unites everything, the key to everything, All wisdom, all knowledge, anything that is good is found in him. That's the message of John's gospel. This is who he is. The word, preexistent, become flesh. He's everything. End of verse 1. And the word was with God. The word, Jesus, he was with someone. Before the foundation of the world, who was he with? The Father. God the Father. So now we have two distinct persons. And even the word in the Greek is like with, but also toward. They're moving toward each other. Who had, they have a relationship. What were they doing? I don't know. But it was good. It was perfect. One day we're going to find out to some degree, even more fully, what it is that being in the inner circle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Word was God. 
So you got a lot of Trinitarian theology packed into one verse. Uh, you got two persons who are both God? Yes. Okay, so we got two distinct persons. The Word was God. God was God. John 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. We'll believe if you show us the Father. It's, you're good, but we want to see the Father. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What? How is that possible? But he's not, you're here and he's, but we've seen if we, one God, the word was God. And yet distinct, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. We believe both, friends. We believe that they have the same godness, the same divine DNA. They are fully, truly God. The substance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the same, and yet they are distinct. They are different in their role. So when you think of God, when you think of God, always think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't just think one or the other. Always, Yahweh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to meet the Spirit later in chapter 1. He shows up pretty quick. Guys, when, you think, when we have the idea of family, this is the source. Your family, this is where it comes from. God has always been a Father. The Son has always been a Son. Eternally begotten. When you think about the idea of friendship, your friends, where do you think that came from? Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect communion, fellowship, enjoyment of each other. It all comes from God. How often do we pause and think about that? You love your family. You enjoy your family. You love your friends. You enjoy your friends. This was God's idea. This is in His nature. Here's John's big idea just in verse 1. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Don't ever be bashful about saying that. Don't ever be made to feel ignorant, stupid, backward, ridiculous for saying that. I think John would know. If anyone would know, John would know, wouldn't he? He witnessed it. He witnessed it all with his eyes, with his ears, and he wrote it down. You know, just don't be hesitant. Just like someone says, where do you live? I live in South Dakota. You don't even think twice. You just say it. It's true, okay? You're not crazy when you say that. You might be crazy for living here, but you're not crazy for saying it. You do live here. So when someone says, well, you know, don't let that, eh, don't let people gaslight you. This happens a lot, okay? You say something, you're, you're a Christian, oh, Jesus is God, like, really? You believe that? It's a little ridiculous. I mean, this, you know, guy with a beard, what, what, really? You, he, God, are you serious? Don't let them do that to you. Don't let academics gaslight you. Well, we... We think he was a prophet, uh, among many other prophets, and uh, good moralistic, universal teaching. Uh, 
that apply, oh, the religions pretty much teach the same morals. And don't let them do that to you. They don't know what they're talking about. John does. He was there. Spec- this is speculation. This is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, and you should not be made to feel stupid. This is not some island of faith that we retreat to because we're really scared. The world's hard, so I need to invent a God who's like me. And No, it's true. John would know. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God, so just restating so you get it. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I think parents can relate to this verse. Sometimes as a parent, you feel like nothing's actually going to happen unless I do it. Can I get an amen? All things in this household are from me, through me, and to me. There are other people here. They observe things happening. They benefit from them, but you wouldn't say they participate in those things. Um, Recently, I asked one of my kids to uh, clean up their room. I won't say their name, but you know who you are. I might have even cast it in biblical terms. Please bring order to this absolute chaos. I'm not asking for something out of nothing. Just order to the chaos. I come back a while later, I look in the room, and um, everything in the floor has, everything on the floor has been stuffed into every nook and cranny possible in this room. There's socks coming out of light fixtures. There's coloring books in air vents. Um, the, the bed is hovering off the floor. How do you even do that? I don't know that I'm mad. I'm just impressed. I feel like one of the legs should be touching down at some point, but it's hovering. It's just hovering. And and what is your temptation in that moment, parent? Kill the child. No, that's not. That's not good. The temptation is, I'll just do this myself. <laughs> if it's going to get done, I got to do it. By the way, don't do that. It's not going to bear long-term fruit in your parenting and in your kid's life. When you look around in the world, anything that is good, anything that is created, it all is from and through Jesus. That's a big claim. That was a big job. There's a lot of stuff in the world. Do you know we have departments in every university studying all the things that God just thought up? That's what they get paid to do. No offense to any, you know, this is, a, this is like what a fantastic pursuit. I just get to investigate all the things that God thought up because there are so many and they're so interesting and they're so deep. Calling into existence things that didn't exist. You know them now because he made them up. They just didn't exist. Water did not exist. It's genius. God just thought of water. Trees did not exist. He just thought of it. This is how the tree is going to work. This is how the tree is going to look. And I'm going to have about a thousand different types and kinds. They're all going to be slightly different. Oxygen. Genius. 
Music did not exist, at least as a created thing. God just thought these things up. He just invented them. You talk about creativity. My goodness. You know, it'd be cool if I could just hold out my hand and say, let there be a cupcake. That'd be fantastic. If I could sometimes, particular moments, say, let there be quiet. And there was quiet. But even that stuff, as, as amazing as that would be, I'm just, crea- I'm just making things appear that already exist. I didn't invent that. I didn't think of that. God just made it all up. And even the things that we sort of create, we're just taking the raw materials he's given us and we're putting them together. And who do you think helps us do that? Who do you think, even unbelievers, okay, create and do amazing things? Who do you think helps them do that? The general work of the Holy Spirit. Look at Exodus. I think it's 34, okay? When they're built, when they're building tabernacle and they're designing it and the Holy Spirit comes upon the builders and, and empowers them and enables them, it's all from God. It's all from the Word. And we just have to stop and think about it. Everything that we see, he just made it up. <laughs> That's a God I want to be close with. That's a God I want to know. That's a God I want part of my life. That's a God I want to worship. And Proverbs chapter 8 talks about this, talks about Jesus, the wisdom of God at the beginning. Speaking, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, just that far, back up a little, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. The word was, the word was with, and the word worked. It worked. This is such an important category for you to get. Young people, especially, I just want to impress it upon you. Just, it seems simple, creation, okay? Creator, created. Maker, made. If you get that, it will save you so many problems. It's so important. You only find your purpose, your meaning, your satisfaction, freedom in relationship with your creator. If you try to be the creator, you self-destruct. If you worship anything created, you self-destruct. But if you worship the creator... Life, joy, freedom, peace, rest. It seems very obvious, but this is, a, this is fundamentally what humanity gets wrong in the fall. They worship the creation rather than the creator. We all do it. Verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God is life. 
God is life. I think we tend to think of God as old, don't we? Like an old man. Kind of been around forever. Um, you know, he's kind of slow. Probably talks in a deep, cranky voice. Listen here, you. But God is not old. He's eternally young. He is eternally young. He doesn't age. He doesn't deteriorate in any respect. He's always been in his prime. He always will be in his prime. There's no glory days for God behind him. Well, you remember when I created the earth? I was on fire that day, you know, at least six days. And he's always in his glory days. Every day is a glory day for God. He doesn't ever look back and say, man, it was great back then. No, every moment of his existence is glory. 100% filled with loving energy all the time from everlasting to everlasting. He never slows down. He never sleeps. He's always working. He's always producing. He's always creating. He's always doing good. He never stops. He never grows old. He never deteriorates. He looks at us and says, you look old because he is eternally young. This is what we say with kids. We clap this morning because new life. And we say, kids, you know, I love kids. They keep me young. Man, it's good in a church have kids. just makes us feel like life. We say that. That's what God is like all the time. Wherever he is, there is life. That's why you go into a church, sadly, sadly, and you say, man, it doesn't feel like there's any life here. It might be the Holy Spirit has left that church. And you come into church and say, wow, there's just life here. It's not me. It's God. He is life. Anything you think of with life, he is light, powerful, consuming, energy. John is deliberately telling us a new creation has come in Jesus. God is now saying, not let there be light in the creation, but let there be light in your darkened hearts. Let light shine out of darkness in you to see the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. So is God going to recreate this world, this physical world? Yes. But it begins with you. It begins with people. It begins with darkness being scattered from your heart by the light of the gospel by the light of Christ. John is deliberately saying that. This is a new creation. In the beginning, this is a new creation come with Jesus Christ. And all of us know the darkness of sin. We do. Some sins more than others. We're very familiar with. I think there is a particular darkness to sexual sin. I think sexual sin can be particularly dark in our lives. And, and I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's that it's a sin against your own body. Maybe that it's often done in secret and there's just a secretive aspect to it, that it's, it's, it's shrouded in darkness. Maybe it's just an atmosphere. I think sexual sin can feel atmospheric. It's like this atmosphere that follows you around. It's a shroud. It's, it's, you just feel it all the time when you're living that way, or even in your past. You feel it. Some of you know that as sinners, 
as offenders, the things you have done, the things you are doing, and you live with the consequences. You're, you're carrying them. Guilt, shame, remorse, resolve to change, failure, resolve to change, failure, penance, concealment, despair. Worshiping sex always leads to a guilty conscience. That's just the way it is. Or perhaps the consequences are even more tangible in your life. An abortion, STD, inability to bear children, long-term temptation, legal problems, a bad reputation, a ruined marriage. You have victimized yourself and you have victimized others. You have damaged them and you feel like damaged goods. And marriage doesn't fix it. Marriage is not magic to, to fix all these things. I want you to hear the words of Christ. My light shines in your darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. My light is more powerful than the most powerful sin. Jesus is not shocked. He's not shocked at what you've done. This is what he came for. He knew what he was getting into on the cross. Do you know that every sin that you've committed, everything that you feel guilty for, he felt it. It, it, it attached itself to him like poison in his body. And do you know what happened? He took it into the grave. It's gone. It's gone. It died with Christ. He remembers it no more. And out of the grave with him comes light and light. Forgiving, healing, transforming. That is what's true. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? The darkest, the dirtiest, the worst of sinners. This is who Jesus came for. Not the clean, not the good, not the righteous. When you're living in sexual sin or you're overwhelmed by your past mistakes, you're living in your own head, aren't you? That's where you're living. That's just what happens. That's just the nature of it. You're lost in your own struggle, your own failure, your own, I should have, I wish I would have, why did I do? And, and you're just lost in yourself. You're self-absorbed, and God is shut out. Jesus' work in your life comes to do the opposite. Instead of being turned in on yourself, you are turned outward. Sin, particularly sexual sin, turns you in on yourself. You're obsessed with yourself. That's all you think about is yourself. And, and Jesus comes and says, here, be more like me. Look outward. There are people around you. Notice them. Pay attention to them. Talk to them. Ask them good questions. Listen to their answers. See their needs. Meet their needs. Friends, this is the way out. Not 
drilling down further and further into yourself. Well, I have to have an accountability group. To, 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 we have to talk about this all the time. I'm not against accountability groups. But sometimes they can turn you further and further inward where your identity becomes your sin. That's all I think about. That's all I talk about is what I did, what I'm doing, my failures. Outward.